Healthcare fraud is a growing problem for private insurers and public payers like Medicare and Medicaid, as well as for patients and healthcare providers. But federal and state regulators and law enforcement agencies across the country are trying to crack down on healthcare fraud. South Dakota is among states ramping up efforts to battle healthcare fraud. I'm Marian Kolbasek McGee, executive editor at Information Security Media Group. Today I'm speaking with U.S. Attorney from South Dakota, Brendan Johnson. Brendan will be describing for us efforts underway in his office to sharpen the focus on healthcare fraud. Hi, Brendan. Hi, Marianne. I appreciate you having me on your program. Well, thank you so much for joining us. To start, could you briefly describe for us the kinds of healthcare fraud cases that you're seeing and what concerns you the most? Well, some of the cases that we've seen just uh, in, in the last 12 months include, for example, a chiropractor who admitted that he was actually paying patients uh, to say that they had been in for treatment when, in fact, they had not. We had an ophthalmologist who billed for office consultations, which did not occur, and field vision examinations uh, when that wasn't actually being provided to patients. Uh, we've uh, also had an ophthalmologist who was billing for bifocals and trifocals for children that weren't being provided. We've also seen recently a key TAM action here in South Dakota that involved allegations of violations of the Stark Law and uh, anti-kickback statutes. That was, of course, a, a civil matter. So it really, uh, even a place like South Dakota, it, uh, it runs the gamut, and the types of cases that we see are, are pretty wide-ranging. So now, how is your office ramping up its efforts to fight health care fraud? For instance, I understand that your office is putting together a new team of lawyers focused on fraud. Why and what else are you doing? We have really energized our effort, and this has been a strategy now for our office, which has taken a while to, to develop, in part because I wanted to go out and recruit the right attorneys to come into the office, attorneys who have some experience in the medical field. And what we are doing is putting together a team that involves both our criminal division as well as our civil division. And what they will be doing is working very closely with HHS investigators. They'll be working closely with Medicaid attorneys on the state level and doing a lot of outreach, trying to first uh, develop cases, making sure from the public that we're getting information about potential fraud. They'll be, so they'll be developing cases, and then they'll be working, once the cases come in, they'll be working together to first determine is the case more appropriate to be handled on the civil level by the U.S. Attorney's Office or at the criminal level, or in some cases, both levels. And so what we wanted to do is make sure, particularly within our own office, that civil and criminal divisions were working very closely, uh, that they're sharing expertise and doing a lot of outreach together to the medical community and to the patient community to try to develop these cases. Now, in general, what differentiates a civil case versus a criminal case when it comes to health care fraud? 
Well, you know, that's a really good question, and it, it, it kind of depends sometimes on, on the level of evidence that we have. To be honest, sometimes this comes down to the discretion of the assistant U.S. attorney and then the U.S. attorney to determine where they will determine whether they feel that the case is is more appropriate at the criminal level or at the civil level. So some of the factors that we weigh are how egregious the conduct is. We also look at how strong our evidence is, whether we think that we feel confident that this is a case that we can prove beyond a reasonable doubt to a jury, or whether it is more appropriate for the civil context when we're talking about a preponderance of the evidence as opposed to beyond a reasonable doubt. So those are some of the factors that we evaluate in terms of determining whether the case is more appropriate for the civil or criminal division. You mentioned earlier that some of the healthcare fraud cases that you're seeing involve billing for services that were never provided to patients, violations of the anti-kickback uh, regulations of the Stark rules. Are you seeing other kinds of fraud as well? Are you worried about ID theft, for instance, in healthcare? Are you seeing any cases where healthcare workers or others are stealing patient information to commit crimes such as opening up fraudulent credit cards or submitting false tax returns, those sorts of things? Yes, and thanks for raising that issue because that's really a another angle that the healthcare fraud investigations can go. And of course, those are cases that are universally going to go criminal for us. And what we see in South Dakota most often, Marion, is we're often we have folks that are consuming the information, the false information. What I mean by that is Oftentimes, we have folks in other states who are obtaining people's Social Security number or perhaps their their Medicare number, Medicare beneficiary number, and then they obtain that information and then they sell it to people here in South Dakota and across the country. And what we've had in South Dakota, for example, is individuals that will take that information and file false tax refund returns. So that's the most common scheme that we've seen in South Dakota where they it oftentimes starts in a medical clinic and usually it's not the physician in our experience that's actually stealing the records, but it, it may be one of their assistants who has access to the medical files and they're taking the pertinent information, they're selling that to a third party, and then that third party will sell a piece or all of that information to someone in South Dakota or, or other states, and then they'll fa- file the false tax request. Obviously, you want to catch these people who are doing these sorts of things, but do you have any advice for the healthcare providers themselves to kind of be on the lookout for this sort of behavior by employees? That's key, and let me say this, Marianne. I mean, I understand, I recognize that, that you know, 99% of the folks involved in healthcare are good, honest people. My wife's a physician. So, so I get that most of the people want to do the right thing. And I think the key for healthcare facilities is compliance, compliance, compliance. And, and that means developing an effective compliance plan that provides training for personnel about proper procedures, uh, incorporating the, the lessons that may have been learned from a past government investigation or from having someone come in and, and just review the, the current compliance program from top to bottom. And so healthcare providers should provide mechanisms for reporting instances of noncompliance, particularly fraud or, or other misconduct, and make sure that plan is effectively communicated to all personnel 
and incorporated into the supervisory chain of command within a company. When it comes to cases where you have an employee who's inappropriately using and taking a patient's information, obviously that's also a HIPAA violation. Any interesting HIPAA cases that you've had or fraud cases where there are also HIPAA violations by either individuals or, you know, healthcare providers themselves? You know, really not in South Dakota. We really haven't had the, the HIPAA stand alone. I mean, typically, we get more bang for our buck. If someone is taking that information, it's really the the identity theft component of it, which which we see more often that is valuable to the identity thieves, and that's where we can typically get our best sentence, by going at it as an identity theft case. And when you do see these ID theft cases, are the criminals generally taking this information from paper records? Is it digital records? A mix, or where do you see the vulnerabilities within the healthcare organizations? It can be digitally or it can be paper. To be honest, what we see tend not to be the really sophisticated identity theft scams, meaning it starts off with the employee who is literally, you know, on a scratch piece of paper. They're writing down people's names and social security numbers, you know, the pertinent information, and then they're transferring that to the third party. What we have not seen as much of in South Dakota, for example, is somebody hacking into the records and obtaining massive amounts of information in mass, such as like a, a target-type attack. Certainly, that type of cybersecurity issue is, is something that is very real, could have much greater ramifications than anything that, uh, that we're talking about. But our experience in South Dakota has not been with that sophisticated of an attack. Now, are there any sort of emerging cyber criminal activity that you're most concerned about that you might see just kind of starting now or something that might be on the horizon that healthcare organizations and law enforcement need to be aware of? With cybercrime, it's really such a growing vector in, in, in our society. It's changing the way that crime operates in a way that we haven't seen since really the emergence of the automobile and the highway system. So, Every part of healthcare fraud in the future really will be affected through some type of cybercrime. So it, it is an incredibly growing area for us. And most often, I think what, what we see nationally are, you know, these cyber attacks where the goal is to obtain as much information on either the consumer or on the patient as possible. And then that information is oftentimes broken down and sold to multiple parties. So uh, the cybersecurity programs that our health professionals have in place, that is absolutely critical because the cyber attacks are not only coming from bad actors here in the United States, they'll also come from folks abroad. And that information won't just be sold to people in the United States, it can also be sold abroad. Do you have any suggestions for healthcare entities in terms of them being kind of on the lookout for either bad actors within their own organizations as well as those from the outside? Well, you know, I think a, a lot of it is having your your risk management procedures in place, having a strong compliance program. Can't emphasize the, the compliance program enough. And sometimes that involves bringing in people from the outside to take a fresh look at what 
uh, compliance protocols the, the health professionals currently have in place. We know there is no way to be 100% safe from fraud or from a cyber attack, but clearly institutions can put in strong compliance programs that will greatly diminish the risk to that institution. Are there any sort of suggestions that you have about whistleblowers, how organizations can get whistleblowers sort of involved with this whole effort in terms of battling healthcare fraud? You know, for instance, should organizations have policies that sort of encourage employees to step forward in case they do see suspicious behavior? Well, I think that's exactly right, Marianne. And I think that for institutions, it's really important to, uh, to develop that culture uh, within the institution where folks know, you know, if they step forward and provide this information, uh, that they are providing a, a tremendous resource and value added to the institution by providing that information. And so that, that really starts at the top and goes to clearly through the general counsel's office and, and human resources as well, just but making sure, look, because what we'd like to see as well is when the institution comes to us from a law enforcement perspective and will say, look, we detected this, this was caught by our compliance programs or our, our employee who let us know that this was going on, and that makes for a much better relationship between the law enforcement investigators and the hospitals when we're all working on the same page and we all want the same result, which is to reduce fraud, waste, and abuse. Now, as we said earlier, your office in South Dakota there is ramping up its activities related to battling health care fraud. Is this a trend across all states and anything going on at the federal level that people should be aware of? Well, there hasn't been a, a national directive ordering all U.S. attorneys to do this. It really is a district-by-district district call. I know all U.S. attorneys are, are focused on health care fraud. All U.S. attorneys have health care fraud cases. This exists in every district in the United States. So everyone is, I think, interested in it. And it's really just a matter of how the U.S. attorney in that state decides is the best way to handle it and also what resources they have available to them to, to help handle it. But what all states have is they all have a health and human services in investigators. They all have assistant U.S. attorneys that have experience handling these cases, and oftentimes they have strong state law enforcement as well that's also looking at this from a Medicaid perspective. So there are significant assets, but perhaps different approaches from state to state when it comes to detecting and prosecuting healthcare fraud. Thanks, Brendan. I've been speaking to U.S. Attorney of South Dakota, Brendan Johnson, I'm Marian Kolbasek-McGee of Information Security Media Group. Thanks for listening.